Hello everyone and welcome to the latest episode of The Wrap, brought to you by Michigan Medicine Headlines. I'm one of your esteemed co-hosts, Dan Elman, with the Department of Communication. And I'm Hunter Mitchell, also with the Department of Communication. Today, The Wrap will be celebrating Black History Month, as we recognize and honor the impact Black community members have made at Michigan Medicine. At the same time, we'll be acknowledging that the organization still has work to do when it comes to advancing anti-racism efforts. We'll do both of those things by talking to two members of the Anti-Racism Oversight Committee. But before we dive into that, if you missed last week's episode of The Wrap, you may be a bit confused right now. That's because, as we told listeners then, The Wrap has revamped itself with two hosts instead of one and a few new features as well. To learn more, be sure to go back and listen to last week's show. You can find all previous episodes on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and anywhere else you listen to a podcast. We're also streaming all our episodes on the Michigan Medicine YouTube channel. Now let's get on with a timely and important topic as we welcome Phyllis Blackman and Steve Vinson, two members of the Anti-Racism Oversight Committee, or AROC. Phyllis is the retired director of the Office for Health Equity and Inclusion, while Steve is a financial analyst and DEI professional here at Michigan Medicine. Thank you both so much for being here. Thank you. First, can you uh, explain what the Anti-Racism Oversight Committee is and what it does at Michigan Medicine? Sure. Um, uh, I'm pleased to be here with you. And I might also add that I serve as co-chair of the Anti-Racism Oversight Committee, along with Dr. David Miller. And uh, together we um, bring together all of our committee chairs, co-chairs, and all of our committee members to pull together an action plan for Michigan medicine. So our, our, our journey began in June of 2020, after the social unrest um, that was plaguing our nation, we took the time to interview our own, uh, take a survey of our own community to see how people were feeling, how, what the impact of that, um, of the social unrest was. And we had over a thousand participants that took place in that survey, and they actually shared with us how they were feeling. And we also had a, um, input from our students, White Coats for Black Lives and the Black Medical Association that expressed their concerns um, and the directives of of what they would like to see happen at Michigan Medicine to combat anti-racism. And from that, we were able to uh, establish our anti-racism oversight committee with a charge of um, identifying practices that contribute to racism and discrimination and recommend the the necessary changes, if there were any that were needed at Michigan Medicine. And then also to identify an approach that achieves an anti-racist culture and to utilize diversity, equity, and inclusion dashboard to track the uh, progress and the outcomes of the work that we were doing. And also to develop and recommend a plan around the contributions that we can and must make to eliminate racism and inequities that may exist at Michigan Medicine today. So who sits on this committee? There are a number of people that sit on this committee. We were very inclusive to make sure that we included our faculty, staff, our learners, our nurses, and uh, many other members of the Michigan medicine community. And we were very intentional making sure that we were inclusive. And I'm sure that Steve would be able to add more to the number of the people that are included on the committee. Yeah, thank you, Phyllis. And, and I agree. Um, it's very inclusive committee. 
Um, I think we have around 40 or 50 so members, uh, kind of original members on the committee, but uh, Phyllis and, and Dr. Miller have also been very good about um, giving us flexibility in terms of adding uh, ad hoc liaisons to our committee. So we've added a few individuals who we think have, uh, would be helpful to uh, the action plans and the deliverables. And so we've been able to reach out for, you know, to staff members, individuals who are kind of in, in the, you know, uh, boots on the ground, so to speak, uh, who have really been able uh, to help us inform us uh, about what's going on in the daily trenches uh, with respect to anti-racism. So our committee has grown a little bit, uh, but we have very inclusive, uh, I think diverse representation across uh, Michigan medicine in terms of not just social identities, but also job class uh, and job families. Awesome, so I think you touched on this a little bit, but why is AROC's work so important? Um, I can start with this. I, I think um, it's really, I think, fundamental to our, our core values as an institution, um, as it relates to our, our tripart mission with respect to delivering patient care, uh, education, and research. Um, you know, for example, if you look at it from an employee life cycle perspective, how do we attract the most, um, you know, the best uh, candidates, the most talented individuals? And, and you do that by looking at diversity, right? The brightest uh, individuals in terms of pulling talent. Um, in terms of retention of talent, uh, we got to look at, are we creating a rewarding environment for folks? Uh, are we enabling folks uh, to, to promote and, and uh, get into career development? Uh, are we allowing growth opportunities for them so that we're retaining our best talent? When you look at it uh, from a, a diversity bonus perspective, right? Anytime you're in a complex organization, you know, research shows that the more diverse people that you have working in that institution, the more innovative you are, right? The more creative your solutions. Um, and that's really when we're at our best, uh, when we have uh, folks who are, you know, really challenging us to, 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 um, to, to bring to the table our, our authentic selves. Um, so I think it really covers the entire spectrum of kind of the employee life cycle. And I think when you in, exist in this culture, uh, Daniel and Hunter, you have physicians who are best prepared to deliver patient care, right? You have instructors who are best prepared to teach our learners. You have your nursing staff and clinicians best prepared to prepare uh, our, clinic, our clinical staff and, and individuals in leadership positions who are best prepared to develop our, our young individuals that we've recruited to this organization. And I think that's how we become leaders and best in this space. Very well said, Steve. I think he has encompassed everything of, of, of why it's so important to do this work. Um, and, and we want to assure or make, make sure that there are opportunities for growth and development and also to build our pipeline. We need to prepare um, our uh, junior staff that are coming on board to prepare them to move into leadership roles. And it is our responsibility that this uh, uh, opportunity is there for them. So we are, we are taking a look at all of the um, hindrances that have been in place in the past that have uh, stopped people from being able to advance uh, at Michigan Medicine. And we look at our recruiting of uh, the diverse talent. And so I go back to say, we need to build our pipeline. I mean, that, that takes us out into the community. 
that takes us to the elementary schools, the high schools, and how do you make sure that there's opportunity to develop our youth and make sure that they have a desire or an interest to know that there are positions in the healthcare field that don't necessarily have to be doctors or nurses. There are many, many opportunities within the healthcare system that we need to um, uh, continue to develop and provide opportunities for. Yeah, well, and, and anti-racism itself is it's a public health issue as well, right? And I know that's something that sort of has been adopted by our leadership at Michigan Medicine. Maybe, Phyllis, you can speak a little bit more to that. Sure, I'd love to do that. Um, we have um, had a, a statement for Michigan Medicine that we read at each of our uh, events uh, when we're bringing our co-chairs together or our subcommittees together. And I'd like to read that statement. And it reads, Michigan Medicine unequivocally recognizes racism as a public health issue. And we should be standing out as leaders against inequality. We are committed to creating fundamental change that leads to a culture of anti-racism and a medical school and health system that are leaders in equity, justice and inclusiveness for people of all colors. And this statement is available for anyone who wants to use it in their meetings. So I've had many people to reach out and say, Phyllis, can you give us a copy of that? And they have embraced this. And um, I think the more that we share this statement across the Michigan medicine community, it helps us to all be aligned in the work in which we're doing. Well, that leads perfectly actually into my next question. And that was, how can faculty and staff support AROC's work even if they're not sitting on the committee itself, you know, whether it's it's sharing a statement like that at our meeting or, or what are other ways that this work can sort of be elevated? Sure, and I can start with that, Daniel. That's a great question. Thank you for asking it. And I, I think it starts with just bringing awareness, right, to, to AROC's uh, recommendations. Um, and, you know, really as we as we start to roll out our plans, integrating and implementing it, implementing it into your, your units, into your departments. Um, and we can kind of break this down by our subcommittee segments, really. Um, and, and so one of our subcommittees is uh, having conversations. So really, let's start to have challenging conversations about racism and build that into our daily work lives um, and make that a safe space to do so. Uh, another subcommittee is speak up and show solidarity. So let's create an environment where folks um, know how to speak up, know where to speak up, know where to report and feel safe to do so without fear of retaliation. We can look at it from a, a subcommittee of education and curriculum. And what does that look like? Are we building anti-racism into, in into our curriculum, into our education, uh, so that our learners uh, that, that Phil and Phyllis mentioned, um, those individuals are really coming to the plate um, with a foundational basis of anti-racism. Um, we talked about the diversifying the workforce. That's another subcommittee. And so again, making sure we're recruiting folks through the employee life cycle, uh, life cycle supporting them, promoting them um, throughout that process while they're here at Michigan Medicine. Another subcommittee is the, uh, the community subcommittee and uh, looking at our health, health inequities really uh, and social determinants of health. And so how are we working and partnering with all of our patients, all of our community members with respect to delivering uh, equitable care and then lastly, we have a professional development and advocacy subcommittee. So are we providing space for folks to learn in this environment, um, you know, making um, uh, professional development accessible for folks 
right? And making sure that we are advocates in this anti-racism uh, and anti-discrimination space. We can't do this alone. We have a, a large um, uh, subcommittees and voices from all um, levels at the institution, but it requires us to have partners. Our operational partners are key to the success of this work that we're doing. So we look at it, I mean, where, where, where are our content experts? Who can help us to build upon existing and utilizing existing resources? Who's already working on a project that maybe we didn't know about? And that's something that I learned at Michigan Medicine is that there are so many people that are working on the same thing. We need to communicate. How do we bring people together and leverage where we are? And we found that just by doing that and having conversations and being transparent about the work that we're doing, it allows us to build upon the work that is doing. And it actually saves resources also when you can partner with other areas. I mean, such as you right here are allowing us to be transparent about the work that we are doing. And so this is communication and being transparent about our work. So thank you both. <laughs> Uh, thank you both. Um, I know AROC will be making a presentation uh, at the Leadership Town Hall on Friday, February 5th. Uh, what can we expect to find out at that meeting and uh, why should employees attend or go back and watch it after it's over? Well, that is going to be a very important meeting because we will give an update as to where we are uh, and the progress that we've made thus far. We will be able to give just a, a brief overview of what the subcommittees have been doing will help them to understand our timeline, um, where we've been and where we are to date. It will also give us the opportunity to share, uh, uh, again, the progress that some of our subcommittees have made thus far. We'll have our um, leadership letter that we will be able to share and then to actually reference our action plan um, and to let uh, the community know that there is an action plan and that action plan will live on the OHE website. So there's a lot of information that will be shared. And then one thing that I, I, I am excited about is that in the uh, town hall to come, we will have presentations from our co-chairs of the subcommittees that can tell you a little bit more about what they are doing and then have subsequent conversations in um, on the community conversations that OHE sponsors every week. So there will be opportunity for people to hear more and more and more about what AROC is doing. And uh, we are excited to share that information tomorrow. And if I could just add on to that real quick, um, thank you for sharing that, Phyllis. This is not performative, or at least I don't see it as performative, right? I, I think we have support and excitement um, from our leadership on these initiatives and these action plans. And I think once we implement, this will truly put us in a space where we have little company across the country with respect to kind of bold transformational uh, anti-racism work. And I would also add to that, this, this really transcends, I think, uh, racism. Uh, Daniel and Hunter, I think a lot of our deliverables and action plans can be used for any sort of marginalized group, right? So this is not just about anti-racism. Th these, these deliverables will be used in religious bias situations or gender bias or you know, disability bias. Like this, this work transcends race. And, and we're not just going to say, speak up when you see racism. No, if you see 
discrimination, then you should feel empowered and enabled to speak up. Um, you know, there's a racism discrimination tax on all of us. You may have heard, you know, kind of vicarious racism. Um, you know, some of us pay more than others, but it, but it really impacts all of us. And I think it behooves us to, to kind of learn the ways that we can de decrease this tax for our entire environment. Yeah, and I'm glad you mentioned that because actually listening to sort of what both of you have been saying, uh, you know, I don't know how much our, our readers or, or our viewers or listeners know, but I use a wheelchair on a daily basis. And so much of what you've been saying and about how making sure that everyone has the right opportunities and whether it's, you know, starting in schooling and getting the right opportunities in school and then getting the interviews and getting the, you know, the moving up the life cycle of work here, it, 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 it it hit me sort of in a personal way too about individuals with disabilities. Sometimes you don't have the same opportunities that others do. And so much of this anti-racism work will work in that respect as well. And for so many other marginalized communities. That's, that is so true. And I'm really pleased with the work that the, this, uh, that AROC has done. And I want to make sure that we know that we're moving forward and leadership is engaged in every step of the way. And that makes me really proud to know that our leadership believe in the work that we are doing. They have a statement to support the work that we're doing and have charged us to do that. So there's a two-way conversation about the work that's being done at Michigan Medicine. And I can truly say our leadership is engaged. Well, that's, that's awesome to hear. And thank you so much to both of you for sharing this critical information. I know that the work you guys are doing with AROC is only in its beginning stages, so we will have plenty to talk about in the uh, months and probably years ahead. So thanks again for stopping by. Uh, now, you. Steve, you're not done. Your work here is not done because you've drawn the short straw today. You're in line to take part in a brand new segment of the show, the lightning round. So we're going to put one minute on the clock and you'll have to answer four quick fire questions in that minute. So are you ready to go? Deep breath. Yes. <laughs> All right, I'm, I'm setting my watch. Okay. All right, here we go. Hunter, you've got the first question. All righty, ready? So uh, Brian gave us a great answer to this last week. So what is your favorite thing to do at home during the pandemic? Uh, watch NBA basketball. <laughs> Who's been your biggest mentor at work? There's so many. Uh, it's very easy to say Phyllis because I'm looking right at her. Um, it, it, but that would be true, right? It, it, that's just not a, a, a fake answer. Phyllis has been so fantastic uh, for me in, in my career and a, and a wonderful mentor. I couldn't ask for a better one. All right. What's the best advice you have for a member of the Black community at Michigan Medicine who wants to eventually hold a leadership position? Well, you know, uh, and our article just came out today in, in, in headlines about the Black Voices Resource Group. And, and I would advise to join that and, and connect with us and have conversations. All right, 10 seconds left. What's the best movie or TV show you've watched in the last year? Uh, 13th. There you nice. go. All right. Well, thanks, Steve, for being a great sport. And thank you to both of you for uh, joining us today. Uh, if you want to learn more about Black History Month at Michigan Medicine, including events that will be held throughout the month of February, you can do that by going to mmheadlines.org. That's mmheadlines.org. And while you're there, you can find other great stories from this past week, including an incredibly heartwarming tale of a patient whose final wish was to play the grand piano in the university hospital lobby. Now, I know music plays such a huge role in people's lives and also in the healing of patients at Michigan Medicine, you know, whether you're listening to it or playing it. Now, that, that got me thinking, Hunter, do you play any instruments in your free time? 
So I play, I play three. Um, I'm not good at any of them. Um, I, I play the, the guitar probably the most, the acoustic guitar. And for me, it's just a way to, at the end of the day, it's actually right behind me. Um, ah, at 501, I, uh, you know, uh, unplug from everything because I'm looking at screens all day, even after work, I'm looking at screens. So it's just a great way to just decompress and take some time to myself. Uh, what about you? Yeah, no, that music is not a thing that uh, rubbed off on me um, in terms of talent. Now, I do recall in fourth grade when we were all, you know, required to play an instrument and I played the trumpet. And I, I'm still scarred by this memory. I was playing a duet with my best friend at the time. I was playing Hot Cross Buns. And, you know, we're at the uh, the 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 concert where all the parents are there and I'm totally nervous halfway through hot cross buns, which is probably 30 seconds by itself. So 15 seconds in my best friend drops out, he panics and freaks out and he drops out and it became a solo. And uh, I think I was scarred from that for the rest of my life. So I've not really played an instrument ever since then. Well, well, you know, we have our hundredth episode coming up, so maybe we can have you kind of. <laughs> I'll break out my trumpet and uh, play hot cross buns. If you could, we'll talk I'll, about I'll, I'll bring a kazoo for that, so that yes. we can uh, do, do, do duet together. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to. I that. won't drop out on you either. I'll finish it. Well, thank you, Steve. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. Well, it's time for the weekly trivia contest. Hunter, give us some more information about that. Absolutely. All right. So last week we asked listeners, what type of goals are typically discussed at mid-year reviews? And the answer was SMART goals. Congratulations to Michelle Tripp, an administrative specialist in anesthesiology, who sent in the correct answer. Michelle, a member of the Department of Communication, will be in touch shortly to help you claim your prize. For this week's question, here's Dan. All right. Well, this week's question is, this week in headlines, there was a Wellness Wednesday story focused on reducing what in your daily work life? Once again, this week in headlines, there was a Wellness Wednesday story focused on reducing what in your daily work life? Once you know the answer, ironically, email it to headlines at med.umich.edu for a chance to win a great prize. Well, that's all we have for this week. Phyllis and Steve, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, thank you to all our listeners and viewers for everything you do for patients, families, and each other. We'll see you next week.